Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 28. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Thomas. In this episode, after NetNewsWire's sad decline, we look at RSS application replacements. We also look at a free alternative to MobileMe. And with Snow Leopard on the horizon, we give you some top tips to help you prepare for the upgrade. But first, didn't I read something about your Evernote joy this week? Yay! Start on a positive note. Uh, remember my Evernote automatically mangling text feature? Um, I mentioned it, I think it was episode 20. I remember it. I, you'll remember it because I'd created about it all week. Um, I'd copy and paste from a certain website. Uh, it was more than one website, it wasn't just the one. Uh, but not every website, strangely enough. And when I pasted it, it looked perfect. So I pasted it into Evernote, looked absolutely fine. But as soon as the note was saved, all the carriage returns vanished and it just left a complete mess. So um, I lodged a support call and um, they said they that yes, that yes, it was doing that. They confirmed it was, which you know, obviously I had a video of it, so it definitely was. Um, but it, they, it wouldn't be fixed anytime soon. But good news this week, Evernote um, released a new version and the update fixed the problem. Uh, sadly, it won't retrospectively fix any notes which got mangled, but at least it stopped doing it. Have they said what caused it, or have they just applied a fix? Well, Paul, one of our Twitter followers, had already worked out what was causing it. Uh, it was happening to text copied from within pre-tags, pre-HTML tags. So we knew what the problem was, and there was a horrible workaround, which was to copy the text from the website, paste it into text edit, and then copy it again before finally pasting it into Evernote. So um, hands up, I didn't bother. Hmm. Talking of not bothering, uh, we talked about screen sharing quite a lot recently and I decided to sign up for the free version of Log Me In with the, in, good, the intention of uh, trying it from work. Good job I didn't splash the cash because uh, Log Me In is on the banned list of sites at work. Uh, it comes under the heading of remote proxies, but we know that it works, don't we? So, uh, you know, it's not a problem. Well, we've had great reports of it working well, and yes, I tried it too this week, and it worked perfectly for me, but then I'm not as hampered as you. Mm, yeah, it's weird. They don't mind you using Facebook or Twitter, but YouTube and LogMeIn are, as I say, banned sites at work, though at least I've now got Flash 10 installed, so I can watch Adobe TV. Until they find out about it and ban that one as well. But in the interest of research, um, I think you should try the iPhone LogMeIn app over Edge. Edge? I'm lucky to get GPRS, and in some buildings on site, there's no signal at all. Well, that's your Christmas present sorted, then. A bigger ball of string to improve your connection. Mm, I'm just crossing my fingers they don't ban really useful sites like Dropbox, because I actually rely on that one. Do you know I was convinced you were going to say Twitter, then? Yeah, I'd be lost, then. Uh, <laughs> Twitter, MobileMe, and MailToWeb. In my lunch breaks, of course. Yeah, right, in your lunch hour. But to get back to the point, uh, LogMeIn is great. I can now control my dad's Mac without leaving the comfort of my office. And I even tried controlling my own from his Mac. Um, I elected not to install any software on his, so I used the Java-based access in a browser. Um, and it was okay. I could get to it and uh, move around and control things. Problem was, I've got a dual monitor set up, and um, for that you do need to install the software. So um, that's this week's task for LogMeIn. So thanks to everybody who recommended it. Uh, you guys were right. It's a very cool service. It works really, really well. And following on from last week's deep dive into the OS X address book, the unofficial Apple weblog have this week posted screenshots, supposedly from a late beta of Snow Leopard, um, but they show integration with both Facebook and Twitter. 
Well, having read comments on that article, the consensus seems to be that it's a fake screenshot. Uh, however, from my point of view, it would be handy to have space in the contacts address card for Twitter name and Facebook URL. And I think that's something we mentioned last week, wasn't it? That's right. Rain on my parade. A fake screenshot. <laughs> yeah, that's a clean version of a well-known saying. It is, and I'm sulking now. Oh uh, yeah, well I was sulking earlier in the week, so it's obviously the week for sulking. Um, I enabled iFooty notifications and the first time it buzzed, and I was really excited, was when Burnley scored. <laughs> A few people have said via Twitter that they've had problems with notifications for multiple teams. And uh, if you send a DM to iFooty via their Twitter feed, they'll sort it out for you. I've found that they're actually really, really responsive. Always good to hear. And iPhones, that reminds me, my iPhone photo fiasco, uh, where Connor P found an article read the numbering. And yes, uh, I can confirm, for unknown reasons, my photos had jumped in number from uh, 9,010 to 10,001. And that was the end of the working photos. Um, so yes, it was. Uh, the article that Connor found said that it was when the number of the photo reached 10,000. Now, I had nothing like 10,000 on there, so there's some uh, strange naming, numbering thing going on. But um, once it does get to 10,000, that's it. Until Scorched Earth, and that took the numbering back to one, so now I've got a fix for at least the foreseeable, hopefully. So we've got a fix with phone view to get the images off, and now we know why it happens. So uh, good result overall. Thank you, Connor. Don't know if this is the place for it, but uh, can I just say tweet of the week goes to uh, Minster68. It was an at reply to me, at Thomas Mike. Another great MacBytes show this week again. Someone mentioned info panel at work today and I nearly wet myself laughing. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Info panel! <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. <clears throat> All right, moving on, moving on. Uh, we heard from Welshness on the uh, show notes blog. You've set me off now. Who says that he likes O2M? And um, I've got another useful mail tool this week called Mail Raider. So uh, in relation to O2M, which was uh, how to get your mail from Outlook into mail, this one uh, is still in beta, but it worked fine for me. It's different from O2M, which concerns itself with handling multiple mail items. Mail Raider allows you to access individual MSG files. Uh, you can read the contents, you can save those contents as RTF, and you can save any attachments such as photos, which I just think is a brilliant idea. Yeah, I think in most cases, though, you want to work with a batch of mails, particularly if you're going from Outlook to uh, the, the Mac, rather than just a single one. But it does sound good nevertheless. What a little ray of sunshine you are tonight. Not. I'm just, I'm just saying. Well, don't. It's seriously, seriously useful. Right, for example, when I was on Windows, um, I often saved a copy of an email out as an MSG because I knew by double-clicking it, I'd be able to read it again. So for things like software licenses, etc., um, I used to put a copy of the software license in a folder with the installation uh, files. Now, little did I expect that I'd be changing platform at the time, and then I wouldn't be able to open these MSGs at all. And I know O2M is great, but trust me, I don't want to have to boot into Windows to run it just to convert one mail. Yeah, I trained a guy on Friday who dragged a load of mails from Outlook to his C drive. Uh, so if he ever wanted to go to a Mac, he'd actually have a use for it. Oh, the poor bloke. Um, if it's expected to use Vista, I think he'd find more use for therapy. But there you go. Changing the subject completely, I installed Frux, Frux, 
this week. Have you heard of it? I have, but I've never tried it. I've also never tried pronouncing <laughs> it. Nor had I till tonight. <laughs> only, only my head. Yes, which clearly went a lot better than that just did. But do carry on. Uh, it's an alternative to having to pay for mobile me just to synchronise. It'll all be all right in the edit. <clears throat> mm. It was designed by a German student who actually owns the company, and uh, Fuchs, that's how I'm going to say it, is a system <laughs> preference pane that syncs your address book, calendars, tasks and bookmarks between different Macs. It's actually still in beta, and the downside is it doesn't yet support iPhone syncing, although it does support Snow Leopard. Well, you could sync your iPhone with a cable after you've synced all your Macs together. Yeah, on the uh, Fruks website, it stresses that it's still in beta and advises you that you... Back up, back up, back up! Exa <coughs> exactly, back up your data. You're choking to death now, aren't you? Mm. Oh, it's yes. so professional, dear. Thought of backing up your data. I tried it um, uh, in the name of research, because obviously I didn't want to mess up my data, so I tried it with just my Safari bookmarks, and it worked like a dream. One thing they're actually planning to implement in the future, which does sound rather cool, is what they call selective syncing. And from what I understand from reading the FAQs on their site, it allows you to sync individual items. So, for example, an individual Safari bookmark or an individual group or even individual uh, address book card or address card from the address book. An interesting footnote to the story is that the developers behind the product submitted their desktop app to Apple to be featured in Apple's software download page, but it was rejected as being too similar to Mobile Me. Oh, definitely worth a look then. Um, that's becoming a bit of a badge of honour, isn't it, to be rejected by Apple? It certainly is. Uh, you can download it from fruux.com. I think I'll spell that. It's F-R-U-U-X.com. And it's also available in Dutch, English, French, German, Italian, Japanese, Portuguese, Spanish and Romanian. And probably in all those languages, it's easier to say than English. Mm. But still on the subject of iPhones, um, organising apps on your iPhone. Now, there's an app for that. But sadly, only for jailbroken iPhones. Movement, yes, I know, that's a very dodgy name, uh, lets you rearrange all your applications on your iPhone or your iPod Touch straight from your Mac. So it's Mac only. But I don't concern myself with Windows. So after watching the video, I want to be able to do this, but I'm unjailbroken. And you're staying that way? I am staying that way. Movement's actually very cool from what I've seen as well. I have several times rearranged my iPhone screens manually so that my commonly used apps are within easy reach. But uh, this is a much easier and faster way to do it. Many, many users have just got to want to do the same thing, but I'd guess not at the cost of jailbreaking your iPhone or iPod Touch. Um, it's developed by an indie developer called uh, Jeff... Now you see, I've got the same problem you have. Jeff Staler. Um, so we'll put a link in the show notes. Now, iTunes 9 is supposed to have something for doing that. But of course, with Apple's usual secrecy, we have no idea if that's true or not. And uh, if you've got a jailbroken iPhone, this will allow you to do it right now. Mm, it annoys me that when I add a new app, what it does is sticks it in the first empty, empty slot, which for me is actually on page four. I think I've got about eight or nine pages. Um, I did have a few spaces. Not quite sure where they appeared from, but it was quite handy. But um, I filled them up with apps and they're in no particular order. So I think I'm just going to keep using the search feature. And, um, you know, it keeps rearranging things. I can't find anything. Too many apps. I did try manually moving one 
um, to, the, to the first page and now all the others are a complete mess. So um, not good. And making matters worse this week was my hunt for the perfect RSS reader for the phone. Um, following our recent mention of the sad decline of Net Newswire from its former glory, I was searching for a decent RSS reader for both the desktop and the iPhone, and I preferably wanted them capable of synchronising with each other, which was what I thought I'd got with Net Newswire, and it sort of worked after a fashion. So I started off with um, Newsfire because I already had a copy of that. I got it in a bundle, but um, all the reasons why I decided against it in the first place were still there, so I gave up on that one, I'm afraid. Yeah, I actually started with Newsfire uh, when it was free, uh, when Net Newswire was actually paid for. But when that went free, I actually switched on your recommendation. What I don't like about Newsfire is that it opens each story in a new browser window. So uh, as you whiz down your feeds clicking, you look up and suddenly there's a million browser windows open. That was really my main gripe with it, um, and that's why I went with Net Newswire originally. There's a command in Newsfire actually, open all unread items in browser. And uh, like a kid, I thought, well, no, what this does? What's this button do? No, actually, it was all in the name of research. Liar. And uh, <laughs> it did what it said on the tin, and a load of browser windows opened. They were actually opening faster than I could close them, covering the whole screen. And it reminded me of those uh, Internet Explorer days. There's always one, and it's usually you. Uh, I don't think so. I think you're the expert when it comes to breaking software. Possibly. There are lines of sobbing developers out there to prove it. Anyway, the next one I tried was Vienna. Vienna? Hang on a minute. <laughs> do, 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 do. I like that. Very funny. <laughs> Come on, you know it had to be done. Mac Bites Monday, and all the listeners will be humming it all day. They'll be thrilled with us. I've got it in my 80s mix that on my surprise iPhone. That doesn't surprise me. Was it 70s? I can't remember. It was the 80s. It was an 80s classic. Mm. Anyway, Vienna. Um, it wasn't that bad, but it was adequate rather than exceptional. Yeah, I looked at Vienna. I actually even managed to drag and drop my feed straight into it from Net Newswire. Yeah, the import from Net Newswire was simple, like you say, but it was all downhill from there, really. Um, one of my requirements was I wanted it to sync to whatever I decided to use on the phone and I couldn't find any sync options at all. Yeah, I look for syncing because it's handy to keep up to date and read my feeds whilst I'm on the road uh, for which read on the park with the dog. It also opened the, opened the stories that I wanted to read more about in tabs across the top of the window, which meant the way it did it, there was only about five tabs could be seen. Now, Net Newswire opened the tabs in a scrollable list of thumbnails on the right, and uh, I really like that. Yeah, Vienna uh, did open the stories in tabs and then it didn't. I don't know what I did, but the tab bar vanished uh, just as we were working on the show, actually. So it was another one down. You could say it was good night, Vienna. Very funny. You're on form tonight. Ah, indeed. I even briefly considered using mail, where um, I do have a few select feeds. But since the 10.5.8 update, they haven't worked well at all. Um, don't know if it's a coincidence that it failed. Um after I'd updated, but it's certainly now not reliable enough. I did actually delete a couple of the feeds and recreate them in case it was that, but um, no, just not reliable. Yeah, I didn't use mail because it would clutter up my inbox and I already break out in a sweat when I've got one more than, more than one mail in there. 
Well, it would cluster up the inbox um, if you enabled the showing inbox option, but uh, that doesn't let you see the RSS items on the road on the iPhone anyway. If you recall our discussion about Prowl. Mm, growl on the Prowl. What you need to do is enable show feed in inbox, purchase Prowl, configure Growl, and then use that to see the items so far from ideal. But um, it was about this time I was slowly coming around to thinking that Google Reader would have to be seriously considered. I actually used Google Reader a couple of years ago when I first got into RSS pre-iPhone. Um, I set it up at work, though now I use the far superior AE and Outlook combination. Oh, fantastic. Powered by rubbing two sticks together, is it? Mm, it feels like it at times. I never use Google Reader. Uh, I just didn't want to handle RSS in a browser. But um, since even the formerly mighty Net Newswire is going to use it for syncing, I figured I was going to have to give it a go. And actually, it wasn't bad. Um, it was a big change from Net Newswire, uh, but I could cope with it, just not in my browser, which is where Fluid came in. Uh, Fluid is a free application that allows you to make site-specific browsers. And I already had a site-specific browser for things like BBC iPlayer and Etherpad. So, obvious, create another one for Google Reader. And uh, I did. You know, I never quite got Fluid. Oh, Fluid's great and it's really easy to use. You run Fluid and you just pass into this dialog box, just a very simple dialog box that it puts up. You just give it a URL, a name for the browser that you're going to create, tell it where to create it, so usually your applications folder, and give it an icon. And that's it. You get a Mac application that's dedicated to the online service that you specified, um, each with its own personalised settings and just perfect for that site. It now integrates with 1Password as well, and it's really configurable. And one of the things that makes it even more usable, there's a Flickr group that has a large collection of images that you can be using for the icons. Um, and they've got images there for all the popular online services, including RSS. And uh, once you've given it an icon, you obviously you, it uses that icon on the dock. And the, the icon on the dock, when you've got something like um, RSS in there in the form of Google Reader, or you've maybe created one for Gmail, uh, the dock icon even shows you the unread item count, which I think is really clever. Mm. Ah, sounds cool. I'm going to give it a go and uh, make one. Well, the great thing is that I can share the ones I've created with you just by sending you a copy of the file. So as long as you've got Fluid installed, um, I can just send you the file. So uh, the RSS feeds are now in Google Reader. Um, and then it was a case of making Google Reader work better. Um, I configured the options so I could open the pages in the same window. Um, because I've got an MX Revolution mouse, which I think uh, we've mentioned before, which has got lots of buttons, and I've got one of the buttons programmed to open pages in the background. Uh, if you haven't got that uh, on your mouse, then it's a simple command and click. So if you use your normal left mouse button and hold the command key down, it opens up the details view um, behind the page that you're currently on. Um, and I also added a couple of items to the highly configurable Send To menu that you'll also find in Google Reader. Um, the Send To menu is accessible from the settings and you can add items. Initially, there's nothing there, so I don't think you even see it. Um, but what you've got built in there, uh, two of the options that I did enable were Twitter and Facebook. Not quite got Facebook yet, but I'm sure I'll get there with it. But in addition to these built-in options, uh, you can create, there's an option for you to create customised entries. So I added send to Evernote and create a PDF. And I got the code required for those, uh, for the Evernote one from the Evernote site. And um, 
the send as a PDF I got from a blog. So I'll put the links in the show notes for those. And um, that, it sort of adds features. So um, hopefully more online services will provide um, the necessary code and uh, you can make it more extensible. Sounds good, but uh, it's not addressed the mobile requirements, has it? No, but having um, capitulated to the mighty Google, I was halfway there. You mean you use the version of Google Reader for the phone? No, it turned out um, there is at google.com slash reader slash i uh, an iPhone version. But of course, I wouldn't find that straight away, would I? Oh, no. I only found that out after going to google.com slash reader slash m, which is a mobile version of the Google Reader site, but it's not specific to the iPhone. Um, it, the text was very small. It was very difficult to navigate. The iPhone site is much, much better, but still not ideal for managing RSS on the move, I didn't think. OK, so we're halfway there or over halfway there in your solution. So what next? I spent money. Mm. Yes, I had a browser on the App Store and I narrowed it down to two um, RSS readers. One was called Newsstand and the other Byline. I kept going back and forwards between them because there seemed to be so little to choose between them. But uh, in the end, after reading all the reviews, I opted for Newsstand. That's the one with the snazzy interface, isn't it? It is. It's optional, but the feeds can be displayed as newspapers in a little wooden stand uh, and flipped around. And you can actually navigate unread items from there as well. Um, I've used it more in the standard view and it's actually been a joy to use. So much better than NetNewsWire on the phone. I should have switched an age ago. One of my problems with NetNewsWire was that uh, on the phone it was slow and it didn't seem to sync properly unless that was just me being in a field in deepest Cheshire. I don't think so. Um, I did a comparison test and uh, Newsstand updated my feeds in about 20 seconds, which feels a long time when you're waiting, but it, it really isn't. Um, I then started NetNewsWire on the phone. These were the same feeds and it took an agonising eight minutes. Um, same feed, same connection. It brought back memories of why I didn't use it much. And uh, even after all the time it took, it wasn't synchronised correctly, never mind in real time, which Newsstand did. Um, I was testing reading items via my Fluid browser on the desktop and then going to Newsstand on the iPhone and it had synchronised straight away. That's pretty impressive. Uh, not down to me working in a field then. No, and my RSS setup is now a complete joy to use. So um, I think we owe the folks at NetNewsWire, um, a company I don't fancy doing business with again, a big thanks for ruining their product because if they hadn't, I wouldn't have gone looking for an alternative. And what I've got now actually works better than NetNewsWire did for how I work. So when you update to Snow Leopard, uh, NetNewsWire won't be making the transition with you. No, it won't. I don't like adverts in my software and I've already paid once and I won't be paying again. Smoothly done to Snow Leopard, by the way. Yeah, the Snow Leopard prep plan, as promised. I'm guessing the first thing you do to prepare is... Back up, back up, back up! Mm, I thought so. Yes, but in so many different ways. Go on then. Well, sort of in reverse order, I'd probably do this as the very last thing, but imaging your existing system has got to be on the to-do list. Trouble is finding a spare hard drive to do it. Well, I've got a dedicated hard drive to image two, um, but when you upgrade the OS, you could actually do with two drives to image two, so you can keep the old image for a while, for all the things that you forget to migrate, and believe me, there will be some. 
Well, you sorted out a 500 gig hard drive for me, so I'm ready to create those images in Leopard. And I have a spare capacity for Snow Leopard images too. I'm not quite there myself yet, but I will be. Quietly slipping credit card into bag there. Heard that. So, making images. Um, I use SuperDuper, but I've also used Carbon Copy Cloner. And even the disk utility can do it. So, have you started yet? <laughs> no, I've been too busy. You'll be even busier if the drive fails, sans image. So, assuming I have an image, how do I get to the files on the image? Well, you can either mount it and access it like you would any other drive, um, but assuming it's bootable, you can actually boot using it. And you, if you do that, you'll be taken back into your Leopard machine as it was at the time the image was made. So handy to check what specific settings you'd used in an application. Um, but there are better ways of doing that, which I'll mention. Um, you'd soon get fed up of doing that for every app. I better get cracking on and make an up-to-date one then. I'm having that hard drive back if you don't. And we don't use Time Machine, but I guess that would be up, need to be updated as well. And once we've got that, can we install? Whoa, lots more to do before that. Um, when you're imaged and you're time machined and you're all up to date, uh, then you've got your apps to think about. But not if you're doing an over the top. You can just get on with it. No, no, no. Um, you're going to need to make sure that you've got all the latest versions of the apps installed because Snow Leopard is going to move anything that's incompatible to an incompatible apps folder for you. And I was wondering what kind of effect that would have on your settings for those applications. You might lose them, maybe. Not sure. I didn't realise that, that it's going to move stuff to, to an incompatible apps folder. So I've heard, but um, I suppose the people who are talking about it shouldn't be. I'm sure it's under NDA somewhere. But um, yes, that's what it's going to do, apparently. And whether it did or not, after the Quicksilver debacle of the Leopard launch... What debacle was that? Oh, the diehard Quicksilver users sobbing over the vanishing of the Quicksilver installer from the site. Oh yeah, so, I remember um, that one now. Yes, lesson learned, I think. Uh, update all your apps before you upgrade to Snow Leopard. And if you're doing a scorched earth, um, download all of the installers that you're going to need well before launch day. And then it's a matter of just keeping them up to date as it approaches launch day. Um, the Quicksilver installer um, just vanished off their site. Um, there wasn't a statement or anything and it disappeared for days and days. Luckily, I already had the installer. So, um, oh, I was popular passing that around for those who didn't. Mm, I keep all my old installers. Um, I must admit I do. Um, and then every now and then I have a complete clear out uh, and only keep the later ones. But um, if I download some software to install, then I put the installation file um, in a little folder, all neatly. They don't I make work for myself. All neatly labelled, etc, etc. And you're also going to need to make sure that you can locate all of your serial numbers, etc. Mm, I've got all of those as well in the same folder. Is this because I'd beat you with a stick if you didn't? Maybe. I thought so. But the other thing I find is that sometimes you've got to go back to an old version when something happens. The one that uh, that I'm thinking about is my uh, ITV, where uh, I installed a later version and it just stopped working. And I had to go back to an earlier version. And luckily, I still had the, the DMG file. The ITV software really annoys me because uh, you only get to download the full version. Um, that you purchase. So if it comes on a disc, you've got the one on the disc, and then when it runs its updates, you can't just download the update. And uh, I actually have three ITVs, all bought and paid for, all the software's bought and paid for, and I have to download any update three times. So um, I'd much rather download it once, like a combo update, 
and install it like that. And that, that, that way it would make it much easier to roll it back. But, There's quite um, a few apps though, isn't there, that, um, you know, it says a new version's available and it, it updates it on the fly rather than letting you download the DMG. Yeah, but most of the time you you can either choose to do that or you can actually download an updater. But the, the ITV is one of these things that, no, you cannot download the updater. Um, even from somewhere like Mac Update, it takes you to um, their site and um, tells you to go and run the updater from within the software. So um, I'm not a fan of doing things that way. But you're also going to have to make sure, as well as all your serial numbers, that if you're doing um, a reinstall, um, don't forget to deactivate all the activated software. Mm, that's a right pain. Uh, doing it and remembering which ones are activated. And uh, yeah, that's actually happened at work. We've uh, just had our Vista laptops rebuilt and we've, we've got some software that's activated. I hate activated software with a passion. So um, I only have a few. But it is an absolute necessity. Um, but of course, if you'd use my system checklist, you'd already know what was activated. Uh, keep it up to date and you're sorted. Yeah, I should have done. Are we going to put a copy of that on the show notes? We are indeed. Never too late to start, as they say. And another tip for remembering what's activated is um, you could label each activated app, uh, say with a red label in your apps folder, and then change the label when you've deactivated it. So, oh, good one. Um, quick tip there. Um, some so activated software even has a limit on the number of times it can be activated and deactivated. So that's even worse. Um, I have heard tell with Creative Suite that you have a limit of 20 times, which if you've got um, two machines, got it on two machines, it's only 10 per machine. So not good. Don't like activated software at all. So can I install them? Maybe if you're going for an over-the-top, but uh, not if you're rebuilding from scratch. Still work to be done. Um, all those lovely apps have settings, plugins and data buried on your hard drive in places you wouldn't even dream of looking. Mm, Visual Hub's actually a good example of that. They had extensions buried in some folder somewhere. I've got it in a text file, actually. Uh, that is a perfect example. Visual Hub... Um, formerly the fantastic piece of software from Tech Expansion, uh, it's no longer with us. Um, you can't download it or anything, but if you've got your installer, um, it still works perfectly, but it relies on extensions, and those extensions were a separate download um, from the site. Uh, so it did download them from the um, developer's site. But because that's no longer available for download, um, unless you back up these files, the whole of the application, the whole of Visual Hub will never work again. And there's a lot more similar examples of apps and data that you'd need to think about as well. So um, with Visual Hub, I know what I did was I found those files and I zipped them up and I put them together with the installer. And that way you've always got them. So that, that's certainly definitely the way to uh, handle things like Visual Hub. But there's lots of other data that you're going to need um, in no particular order. Um, 1Password, you are definitely going to need that, um, so I either back up the 1Password keychain um, or you can use Dropbox for that. Now, I don't have my 1Password keychain in Dropbox, but if I did, then uh, it would be synchronised and available from other machines. Have you got yours in Dropbox? I haven't, no. No, it's one of those things, it's got my credit card details in it and I'm, I'm not 100% sure that I want it in Dropbox, which is ridiculous, I know, because I buy loads of stuff online and... I banned my credit card details around willy-nilly, but it's just the thought of actually putting it into Dropbox. I really should, but um, maybe I will once I've rebuilt. 
Um, another app, I've got uh, Audio Hijack Pro and um, when I've rebuilt in the past, I've got lots of little definitions in there. Um, they define what it's hijacking and recording on the system. Um, and it would be handy to be able to back those up. I think I found them lurking around a P-list somewhere. So um, again, you, you will have this backed up in your image, but it would be a pain to have to boot the image to go and find the settings to take out one file and then reboot again and then put it in. So something that you could maybe back up. Yeah, that's one I hadn't thought of. It's one I use all the time. Um, I had a lot of definitions um, for things that I did. I've pruned my definitions down greatly now, but it's still a time saver to be able to have them because um, one of the things in the settings is your default location. And if you've got to change that 20 times, you know, gets boring very quickly. So uh, well worth setting up uh, to be able to, to back up the file. Another thing when uh, I recently had to uh, move from uh, my poorly machine to my temporary machine, I installed BB Edit and uh, was horrified that nothing seemed to work. And then I remembered that um, all the clever things I had BB Edit doing were clippings and I hadn't backed up my clippings. Luckily, I had the image. I had backed up, backed up, and then it backed up again. Uh, and I could get to my clippings, but um, I was horrified when I looked at BB Edit and thought the whole thing's broken. And uh, no, it wasn't. I just hadn't taken my clippings. Um, but again, there are clippings, there are scripts that maybe you've added. There are a lot of things in text editors that you may have just tweaked slightly. So um, think about finding them, locating them, and backing them up. Um, I'm sure you're going to do that, aren't you? But I doubt you've done it yet. I haven't, no. I didn't think so. <laughs> um, another thing I'll need to back up um, is my Bento database. Um, I'm still on version one of Bento. I didn't move over to two. I'm thinking about it, but I'm also thinking I've had it so long now. Bento three will probably be out, so it might be something I want to leave. Um, but yes, your Bento database is buried somewhere illogical as well, because you can only have the one Bento database. So um, that would need sorting out as well. And one that I know that you do use uh, are your backup definitions in Chronosync. Yeah, although for me, they're actually on my external drive anyway. That's exactly where I put them. Uh, the only problem that gives me is I have them on my main documents drive. So um, it's with all my documents. And if I ever use Chronosync on that drive, um, it gets itself into a loop because the file's actually open as it's trying to back it up. So um, that's a good reason why people might not have them on there uh, if it's a drive that they're actually using. But yes, mine are external as well. But if you have got them in their default location, you might need to think about that. One I've never backed up the settings of, but I'm using more and more. So it's going to be a real pain if I don't, is default folder. Um, which we've talked about and said how good it is before. Um, it's more of an add-on to the system and it provides extra options on your save and open dialogues. Um, one of the things that you can do is set up favourite folders um, and settings. And I'd like to be able to back those up as well, so I'm going to have to go and try and find where they are. Um, hopefully we'll be able to use your um, little tip about using App Zapper and seeing if we can use it to find the plist file. But if not, uh, what I've taken to doing is taking screenshots of the settings and preferences um, in applications. And how I do that is I use Screen Steps for that. Screen Steps is an application um, that's uh, main purpose is to create um, lessons, um, tutorials. 
where you take a screenshot and then you write a bit of text underneath and then you take another screenshot and so forth. You then build up those lessons into manuals and you can export them as um, Word files, you can take them to pages, you can publish them as HTML. Uh, there's also an online component to it um, and you can also publish straight to a blog with it. So um, it gives you a library so you can save your settings. What I do is I create um, what they're calling a lesson for each application and then I take screenshots of the settings in the preferences. So uh, if I then have to reset an application I can just open screen steps and work through um, page one of the settings, page two of the settings and it's really really simple. So um, that's what I do when I'm backing up the settings. So if I can't actually back up the settings themselves then I will take screenshots of it and it just makes it that little bit easier. Talking of screen steps, the actual library needs to be backed up as well, but uh, I've actually got, again, I've got it on my external drive. Yep, you do need to back up the library. Um, I think mine's on an external drive as well. You can have multiple libraries with that, so it probably is. But um, you're getting the hang of this now, aren't you? It needs backing up. Mm, I am. A um, couple of the other odd things. Um, I'm not sure whether, I, again, I can back this up directly, but I have Cololoquy, which is an IRC client, and I'm just so bad at all that stuff. I'd never remember what to type in at all um, for the individual IRC rooms that I go into. So um, if I can't find the settings saved somewhere, then I'm going to have to take screenshots of it. And while we're talking about libraries, um, the library for Delicious Library, if you've got that, that's also... Uh, buried somewhere on your hard drive so you're going to need that one and odd things as well I think you use this one disk catalogue maker yeah I do use that one um, it comes comes with toast so you know you're pro you might even be using it and not know you're using it if you've got toast but it catalogues every disk that you burn um, to its own little catalogue now you can store that elsewhere um, I've actually got the full version of Disk Catalogue Maker rather than the one that, that comes with Toast. Um, the problem with it is if you've got Toast installed, it's constantly looking for the file um, in the Roxio folder. So just to appease the thing, uh, that's where I leave it. So it does actually need backing up. And I do have a Chronosync definition to back that one up. But what I found with it is I, d I don't know whether it's how many disks uh, I've got catalogued in there or whether it's how many items I've got on the disk that are catalogued in there. But when I run Chronosync, and this file is about 900 meg, something like that, I think it's just under a gig. One, it seems a pretty big file for something that is in essence just a database. Uh, and, and two, it takes an absolute age to back up, much longer than it would take me to copy a gig. So um, I think inside it, it must be a package built up from uh, lots of little files. And I do mean lots and lots of little files. So um, that's a bad one to be backing up. I'm probably going to burn that to a DVD uh, just in case as well. I don't like the way that backs up. I, it worries me that one does. So um, bear in mind with that one. I think I've got about 900 discs catalogued in there. So maybe if you've only got 10 or 20, you won't be seeing the slowdown that I am. And something we talked about uh, a couple of shows ago, Expand Drive where um, it masks your FTP access to remote drives. Um, I've taken time and I've set that up painstakingly. And uh, one of the things that concerned me was when I set it up, I don't want to be sitting here and setting this up again. And I did use your tip of AppZapper and found the plist file. So I shall be backing up the plist file from Expand Drive separately as well. I trust you'll be doing the same. Of course.
And your FTP bookmarks? Yeah, uh, my FTP bookmarks, uh, I back up anyway through a Chronosync backup. So do I. Um, luckily, they are individual little bookmark files, um, so they can actually be dragged and dropped out, out of our FTP client. Not too sure how other FTP clients work. We use Yummy FTP, um, which is adequate for what it does, so I haven't looked around for anything else. But the bookmarks, I actually like them in there. I think it works very well. I do because it means that you know you can set one up, I can set one up, and we can just send it to each other. So it's duplicating the work. Exactly. I don't like these um, where everything's locked inside in dialog boxes and you've actually got to sit there and fill in um, all you need to fill in because sometimes there's a lot of things to set up with FTP and uh, I don't want to be doing that on my own system so I don't want to be copying them by hand from another system. And uh, we mentioned Fluid today as well, so uh, I'll be backing up my Fluid browsers. Now, the last time I did that, I'm pretty sure it didn't work and I don't know why. Um, it could have been the wrong version of Fluid, but I don't think so because I do try and keep everything up to date. So um, I had problems last time. I copied my Fluid browsers and then double clicked to open them and it wasn't having it at all. So, um, but I have noticed that I was uh, sharing them with you and I could open them up on your machine. So that's something this time I will back them up and I will be sure to try it. Uh, hopefully it will work. And Forklift and Pathfinder as well that we talked about recently. And uh, those were the applications, I think it was you with Forklift, wasn't it? Where you found the config files and um, we tried transferring them and it worked. So uh, I've never, in anger, uh, transferred my Pathfinder files. But this time I will be because uh, I've got it set up very, very differently. And uh, now I know it works, I'll definitely be backing those up as well. So uh, I presume you will for Forklift? Of course. Another app that I've used for a while, and I don't think um, I, I backed up my rules before, is Hazel. Um, and now it's got an option to export your rules. So um, another good one to remember. The thing is with Hazel, if you're looking through your apps folder while you're doing this and making a list of what needs to be done, um, you could well overlook things like Hazel because um, there's nothing in the apps folder. Uh, it's all available from your system preferences. So remember to look in your system preferences as well. But as I say, Hazel's got an option to export the rules, so uh, I'll definitely be doing that one. Another one I nearly forgot was who to spot or how to spot. Um, I made some templates and um, I'd like to back those up. So uh, I'm going to be looking for a way to do that as well. As I say, if I can't back up the actual definitions themselves, then I'll just document them and uh, have to recreate them. And then there's iPhoto. Now, luckily, the way I work with iPhoto, uh, I have multiple iPhoto libraries and they're all on external drives. Um, that I manage then uh, which library I use with um, iPhoto Library Manager. So um, all mine are already externalised. Uh, I'm guessing yours aren't. No, mine are on the hard drive um, and I've, I've only got the one anyway. So it's going to just be a, ca a case of manual backup, I think. Yeah, I have multiple ones because I, I don't want um, photos in with uh, artwork that I work with. And uh, I use the artwork via uh, the media browser. So um, a little bit like iTunes, you know, everything goes in iTunes and all your jingles and stuff all gets mixed in. Um, I don't do that with iPhoto. I have them completely separate. And talking of iTunes, uh, you've got to not only back up uh, all your library, which contains your music, but there's also your control files as well. Um, for reasons I can't remember, I left my control files um, on the main drive. But um, I'm contemplating moving them. I've been reading about people who are synchronising them with Dropbox. Um, but I never had much luck um, pointing it to a different drive. 
Um, I used to, it used to be a lot easier to manage. I used to open up the um, iTunes control files, which were XML files and just text-based. And I used to do global search and replace to say, to um, change the drive name. And it worked brilliantly, but um, now they're all much more complicated files. Um, I don't do that or I'll break something. So um, I'm gonna to have to remember to back up the control files uh, and my library is all on an external drive. But if you forget your control files, um, bad news because your iPhone's applications um, are in those control files. There's um, a folder. So uh, don't forget the control files. And then there's sort of the worky things that you don't want to think about. Um, iWork. iWork has the ability for you to create your own templates and your own templates in order to appear in the interface of iWork must be stored in a specific location, which is on your main drive. So um, don't forget to back up those uh, or you won't have your templates available. Now for something like Microsoft Office, major nightmare. There's lots to back up. Um, but I found a very good site um, from a Microsoft um, valued partner. And um, there's a whole page all about how to back up all your preferences in Office for the Mac for both 2004 and 2008. So um, I don't use it myself, not on the system at all, but uh, I will put a link in the show notes for that. I'm sure some listeners somewhere will find that useful. Yeah, um, talking about iWork, I added a, a load of extra templates to um, Keynote uh, that I found on a web, some freebies, and uh, they have to go in a specific place. So luckily I have got the original copies, um, but you know, it's, it's worth finding out where they are on your, your, your main system drive and copying them. You can actually for all of them. I've not seen too many for numbers, but certainly Keynote and Pages, you can actually purchase additional templates. So if you've actually purchased them, you'll probably have an installer file somewhere. Um, so you could actually go back to that or maybe re-request them from where you got them. But your own would, um, if you overwrote the whole lot, just be completely gone and you might not have backed those up. Um, I make sure I back them up as I go, um, but it's one of those things that's easily, easily overlooked. So, um, yeah, definitely think about that. Just go into it and have a look in the My Templates section and see what you've got in there. You may also have made some changes to the inbuilt ones. So um, always worth backing up. And uh, we looked at Voila last week in our competition. And Voila has a library um, that you may not want to lose. So uh, you need to back up that. Little Snappers, a very similar application, and that has its own library as well. So uh, once you start looking at these things, uh, they do tend to put their libraries somewhere on your main drive. And... Um, they're easily overlooked until you install the thing on your new operating system and think, ah, the library file that I need. Uh, one of the first things that um, I'm going to be installing is LaunchBar. So I'm going to need the settings for that as well. And then there's the horrible, horrible things that I loathe setting up. Things like mail, because there's just so much to set up. You need the settings, you need your old mail items, there's your rules, your signatures. Um, I've got several plugins for mail as well. I have um, things like Mail Acton and Mail Tags. Um, they have their own settings and their own rules as well. So I'm going to need to think about that. They also have serial numbers, they're purchased applications. Uh, and then there's SpamSiv as well um, that I'm going to need to reinstall. And I know from memory you've got to stop mail you've got to install spamsive then you've got to run mail then you've got to do an add-in thing so installing spamsive i'm going to have to go and find the instructions for that as well and then it'll need retraining as well won't it 
what I do with it, and it worked well because obviously I, I wouldn't really have done this since Leopard, but for moving to this temporary machine, which is more temporary than I'd like. Well, actually, no, it's more permanent than I'd like to think. Um, but what I did with Spamsive was I thought I can't face retraining this again. And I backed up what's called the Spamsive Corpus, uh, which should be what it uses to um, compare things with. So I backed up the corpus and then I imported the corpus and, and it worked well for me. So um, I'd suggest you do that. Spamsive is running if you've got mail running uh, and you, you've purchased Spamsive. So uh, just click on the icon in the dock, go up to the menu and from there you can choose to back up the corpus. And then likewise on your new installation, if you're doing a complete reinstall, um, you can elect to import the corpus and you're done. So um, try that before you try retraining it because uh, that worked quite well for me. Uh, theoretically, you're not going to need to do as much of this if you are doing an over-the-top install, but sometimes it's going to uh, overwrite something that you didn't expect, so uh, handy to know anyway. Um, I actually did an over-the-top install with Leopard, and uh, when I'd done it and had to play around with it, I decided I was going to uh, uninstall, well, not uninstall, but you know, complete Scorched Earth policy and reinstall again. I don't think it does any harm um, to completely rebuild it. I know it takes a little bit more time, but I think you're confident when you've done that there's no old files lurking around that could potentially cause conflicts with stuff in the future. Um, my laptop hasn't been rebuilt since the night Leopard came out and I've got problems with it. Um, I've got Creative Suite on it. Um, a legitimate version, I'd be all right if it was a cracked version. <laughs> Silly me, it's legitimate. Um, and it won't take my serial number. It just won't. Um, it had CS3 on it. It's now got CS4 on it. I didn't have access to my serial number when I installed CS4, so I elected to use the trial, and now it won't take the real serial number. So um, I thought, I'm going to have to completely blitz this. What I'd have to do is uninstall CS4, um, and then run some clean scripts on it, and then reinstall again. So I've been hanging on and hanging on, thinking, just leave it till Snow Leopard, leave it till Snow Leopard, and it'll sort itself out. Literally because that would take me a long time. To uninstall would take two to three hours. Then I've got my clean scripts to run and then I've got to reinstall and the last time I installed it it took three and a half hours and then I've got to update it. So um, you're looking at an all-day job so I've avoided that. So uh, I am intending to do a clean install definitely on the laptop for, for that, those reasons. Let's get everything back to um, some semblance of normality and that way if something breaks it's something I've done and it's not the operating system. And uh, the, the other few things that I thought about were things like Mars Edit and Feeder, which um, both have accounts and Feeder may also have your feeds in it. Um, obviously, you'll have a copy remotely, but um, always good to keep the backups locally as well. Um, and also OmniFocus or Things or whatever you use for your to-do list. Um, my data is in OmniFocus and it's actually uh, via mobile me. So I should have a copy of it via mobile me. And I found when I install OmniFocus, I've got um, a multiple license for that, that when I install it on a new machine, I can just point it to mobile me and it pulls the data down. But um, you know me, belt and braces, might as well back it up anyway. So um, my data's there, but I back up all the local copies as well. Uh, particularly for things like the archives, the archives are stored locally. So you might think, oh, I've got my data on mobile, me, don't need to do that, uh, and then realise that your archives are missing. So um, back it up anyway. You can never back up too much, I say. So if you've got anything else that you're going to do, 
Yeah, there's a few things that I've thought of uh, that I use. iWatermark, which is used for putting watermarks on images. Uh, you can define your watermark settings. So those are going to be stored somewhere. So I'll have to find that uh, out where they are and back them up. Speed download settings. Speed download is a pain to set up, I must it admit. Is. What I did with that, I don't know if that... Um, does if you can get to the settings, but that was one of the ones that I documented with um, screen steps. Yeah, I remember taking some screenshots as well. Just to be sure, because there's actually more than the definitions. There's the little ticks in the boxes, and if they're not correct, um, it just won't work. So um, that was one that I did belt and braces with that one. Yeah, uh, Safari bookmarks, although they'll be stored in Mobile Me and uh, Frooks. Frooks. <laughs> Don't start again. No. Uh, staff settings as well. Uh, my staff settings are pretty simple, to be honest. Um, I don't use one of the features in there, which is that shortcuts feature, shortcuts or nicknames. Uh, mine are elsewhere with those. Um, but, yeah, I think if you did use those, you'd want to back them up rather than document. So, uh, yeah, good catch. Saft as well. Yeah, Tweety, uh, your accounts and your searches. Not sure if you can actually back up your searches somehow, but uh, yeah, you, you're definitely going to need your account settings. I'm assuming in that case, Tweet is going to be one of the very first applications that's on uh, Snow Leopard. So you can say, I'm tweeting from Snow Leopard. Mm. Oh, how did I guess? Can you back up Typeinator? You can. Um, Typeinator's um, our uh, text expansion program. Um, other people will probably use Text Expander or Type It For Me or something like that. Um, with Typeinator, it's really, really easy. Um, just get the Typeinator main window on your desktop and uh, drag and drop the sets out, and that's it, you're done. Uh, when you come to install them, you just uh, put them on your desktop and drag them back in. So it's really easy with Typeinator. Works very, very well. Very fast to get that up and running. Um, you, you'd imagine if you hadn't got that installed, you'd, you'd think you'd lost the ability to type, wouldn't you? You mm. would if you've got as many uh, fixes for things that you were uh, constantly type wrong as I do. I know you don't have to think about this anymore, but what about Fusion and Parallels? Um, great news with those. Uh, it's not your hardware, your Mac hardware, Um that dictates whether um, Windows is activated or not. It's actually how Fusion or Parallels defines the Windows hardware to the Windows installation. So you can just back up the um, files themselves, the uh, images, the Windows images that you have, and transfer them to your new machine. So um, they're very big files. Uh, by default, they used to be stored in your Documents folder, which was ridiculous because they could get to sort of 20 gig. Um, so by default they used to be there. I'm not sure where they are now. I, I ended up moving mine and putting them on a fast external drive because you could access them from elsewhere. So uh, just a matter of finding your images and um, backing up the whole lot. Just back up the entire folder. You will have to make sure when you reinstall that it's the, the exact same version of Fusion or Parallels that you reinstall with, because otherwise you will get problems with needing to reactivate. And with Windows, you can't deactivate. So if you find that um, you've got maybe five images based on the same thing and they're all activated and everything's fine, you could find, um, if you trash them and try and install them again, that it won't activate for you. So um, the best way is to update Fusion and Parallels to the very latest versions, open all your images, make sure that Windows is quite happy with them, that it's running fine, and um, then transfer the images. So all you've got to do is reinstall um, Fusion, reinstall Parallels, and transfer the images, and then just open them up, and you're fine. No reinstallation of Windows required.
Ah, well, that's good. That's a relief. I didn't fancy reinstalling Windows again. Um, yeah, note to self. Make a note of what the Parallels and Fusion versions are. Yeah, I had that issue um, when I upgraded my father from Tiger to Leopard. And it was a case of Parallels isn't broken, so don't try and fix it. And um, I have to keep um, an older version of Parallels because otherwise I know that it's going to want reactivating and generally fiddling with. Um, and what he's got is working for his specific requirements, which is weird radio-y type stuff. So um, I've kept that old version and it's filed under Father's Parallels version. So, um, yes, keep the old versions that you might need as well. You might, you might find something stops working with a newer version, so keep that old one. And a few of the other th critical things that um, I need. Uh, I'm going to need to know uh, my Dropbox settings. I'm going to need to know all my account settings for Dropbox and Evernote and Zumo Drive and SugarSync and Mobile Me. Um, and if you've got those hidden away inside uh, electronic files that you then can't get to because you've forgotten uh, the password to get to them not good not good at all so um, i make a paper copy of those i know how prehistoric's that um, which i keep in my system rebuild um, file which is a pages file so um, i'll put that on the show notes as well and um, people can sit there before snow leopard while they're waiting for it and fill it in you're also going to need your printer drivers and your scanner drivers if you need any uh, any of those um, i had great fun with my printer drivers um, when i updated to um, a point re re release of Leopard. I think it was something like 10.5.6 or 7 and it completely reset all my printer drivers and I'm and it's telling me that my printer's not available. And what it had done was it reset the path. So um, I had to dig out the old printer driver. I wasn't even sure that I had one, but it turned out I did. <laughs> Who knew? It was that long ago since I installed it and I didn't realise. So um, you might want to look for the latest versions of them. Um, but yep, you're going to need your, your printer drivers. And also things that you probably forget, like your wireless network settings and uh, your system keychain. So um, I bet you've forgotten all your wireless network settings, haven't you? I've got them written down in a text document. Oh, how secure. Yes, we're going to have to have a talk about this, aren't we? <clears throat> One of the things that I'd like to back up and I've never successfully managed to, I've had a quick Google search for it and I can't find anything on point. So I shall put this out as a listener challenge. I want to be able to back up um, the dictionary or I think it's the dictionary, um, when you tell um, your operating system to remember a spelling that you've added to it, I want to be able to do that because I noticed when I changed my temporary machine, all the things I'd already told it came back as misspellings and I had to say, you know, no, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine, about 20,000 times. So I'd actually like to back up the dictionary data and I don't know where that is. So um, do you think Stargate John might know? He might well do. Let's challenge him. Stargate mm. John, if you know, let us know. And if anybody else knows, let us know. I need to know these things. So um, I think I'm going to be doing a complete Scorched Earth install. But I'm not quite sure because there's been news, hasn't there, of what's available. What different types of installer are available and how easy they are to do this time. That it's made um, big, big changes to what's available. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, options you've got available, won't it? I've never actually done um, an archive and install. So um, it will. It will be very interesting. Yeah, I've always done a, a clean from scratch. Wipe it all. 
I've done a, a clean from scratch and I've also done some over the tops. Um, the over the top that I did that was on a working system worked really well actually. So it's very tempting because it would be so much easier than installing all the software again. But as I said, I'm definitely with the laptop going to have to do something with it um, and over the top's not going to work there. So um, hopefully we'll have more idea when it's actually released. And of course, when you're finally done, don't forget to re-image. And then can I actually use it? Absolutely. I'll probably be too exhausted after all that, though. Rubbish. I know you too well. You'll not sleep for days. No change there, then. True. OK, moving on. Um, that is our look at uh, preparing for Snow Leopard. Isabel, who won of Voila competition, has also been in touch. Just been listening to this week's podcast, I heard I won Voila competition. Many thanks, Elaine and Mike. I really like the software and I've been using it for a couple of weeks and would have been sorry to lose it when the trial period runs out. Yep, and it was also great to hear from Mac Jim from Bonnie, Scotland. Uh, Mac Jim was a MacBytes listener all way back in the day when we first started. And thanks to Digital Outbox, he's found us again. So yay, great to have you back with us, Mac Jim. On to events. The next MacBytes live event is this Thursday, 27th of August at 8 o'clock in the evening BST, when I'm going to be showing you some practical examples of pivot tables in Excel. Not strictly Mac, I know, but uh, a lot of listeners we have uh, use Windows at work. Uh, see digital-iq.co.uk for details of this and all our other events. And to attend the event, go to macbytes.co.uk slash live. And as always, if you want some geek chat, we'll be logged in about 15 minutes beforehand. We're having a social event on September the 17th, and this will take place at the Old Pelican Inn, Manchester Road, on the Sale and Timperley border. So if you're in the area, please feel free to join us. If you're in the area, it's the Old Pelican. If you're on Google, it's the Pelican Inn. I've not got over that yet. I've not forgiven Google. Despite the fact of how good Google Reader is, I've not forgiven them for that. And it's competition time. We launched our BusyCal competition last week. The nice folks over at BusyMac have given us copies of BusyCal to give away as prizes. All you have to do really easy this one, is send an email to macbytesuk at gmail.com with the words a busy cal competition in the subject and we'll pick the winners at random. Uh, I think we'll leave this one open for another week, so should we say next Saturday? Mm, we could, or maybe even another week. Let's see, let's see. We also have a discount code for purchasing BusyCal. Just use the code MACBITES and get 20% off your order. You can use that for one or more copies of BusyCal or BusySync and the coupon code can be used when purchasing on the BusyCal site. And although it's still in beta, it's getting very, very close to release. So you can download a 30-day trial by heading over to BusyCal.com and download it right now. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes, and as always, we would love to hear from you. So, questions, comments, queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com, or we keep tempting you, send us an audio file. We now have a contact form on the website, so that's another way to um, get in touch with us. And you can keep up to date with what we're doing via the website at macbytes.co.uk or on Twitter, twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. You do it every week. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye and see you next time. Goodbye.
going to put your right teeth in now. <laughs> oh, I'm evil.